We are God. <laughs> I could see it twice. When we say that we value life, we value all life. In all its stages, young and old, unborn and newborn, human life, we value it all. Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and it's a day where we focus on the value of life. I want to begin with a moment of prayer. I want to seek God's guidance and his wisdom as we delve into this word, and uh, we ask for his leading as we explore this profound truth of the sanctity of human life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son of God, God of heaven and earth, you create every human life in your image. You knit us together with care and you sustain us every day. You alone are the source of every good thing. You are our strength and our courage and our hope. And we ask that you would bring courage and wisdom as we open your word today. Speak to us of life. Remind us of how valued we are by you. Reveal yourself and your will on this difficult subject. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So all around us, abortion is a much discussed and a very controversial subject. Uh, I doubt it that uh, many of you have gone for any length of time without having conversation with a friend or a neighbor or a family member where you discuss this subject. And, and that's because it's in the news and it's in the courts and it's all around us. Uh, Christians are talking about it, but too often the church is silent about it, where we don't say anything. And as a church, we need to speak out and we need to share God's views on life. We need to go even beyond that. We need to embrace the gift of life that God has given. And we need to foster a lifestyle that respects life and leads to life. The discussion as we normally hear it, usually centers on human rights. But for a great many Christians, that's not it. The issue isn't life. The issue isn't rights. The issue is life. And while the scriptures don't speak directly about abortion, they do speak about life. And they talk a lot about life, the value of life, how precious is life, and even life before birth. So today we want to talk about, we want to ground our teaching in both the Old and the New Testament with a particular focus on Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 1. But we're going to look at three things today. We're going to first understand our identity in God's eyes, how God sees us. And then second, we're going to look at a biblical foundation for the value of human life. And then last, we're going to look at life as God's precious gift and what that means. So we're going to start with our identity in God's eyes. How does God see us as humans? When God looks at you, what do you think he sees? What does he see? Does he see just another lump of flesh? Does he see another body just sitting there? Something that might someday have value if it all works out and you live up to your potential? Is that what God sees when he looks at you? Or does he see something else? Does he see something more? Does he see you as a person right from birth? Does he see you as a person and having seen you, has seen you since before birth? 
and known your name and known who you are. Prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 49, he starts his book talking about the calling of the servant. Now, a number of discussions on who the servant might be, you know, because there are these great servant passages in Isaiah, the suffering servant being the one that we know the best in around Isaiah 53, and we know it specifically refers to Christ. In this case, the servant could refer to Christ, it could refer to Isaiah himself and his calling, or it could refer to the calling of the people of Israel to follow God. So, so we have those three options, but it works on all those three levels as we look at it. Um, it says, before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. Now, it's just a little little piece of scripture. We could skip over it. We could ignore it. We could miss it as we're going along. But it has huge significance. God looks at his future servant and calls him even as he's in the womb. Not only that, he has spoken the person's name in the womb. God knows exactly who this person is. He looks and he sees the person in the womb. Now, in the world's opinion, the fetus is just an organic lump, a bit of jelly that has the potential to become human. You know, that's a view that we get from Aristotle. Uh, remember that we didn't have the scientific knowledge about things like human, human ovum and how the beginning of life worked. We didn't have any of that understanding until around 1827. And so when Aristotle spoke in 4 BC about life and how life began, he was doing it without any scientific knowledge. He, he was doing it to the best of his ability based on the understanding he had in those days. But he was talking about how he thought it worked. And he thought that a process was needed over time to turn the fetus in the mother's womb into a human being, into something that could then receive specifically human form and receive a soul. You heard that kind of an idea espoused today? The idea that these aren't really humans, these children in the womb. They're not really human until they're born. They're just a potential human. Well, we hear that, I hear that often. I'm sure you hear it too. And, and that's not science, that's Aristotle. Now, we know today that the child in the womb has everything necessary to live life. You know, what happens when a child is born early, born premature? You know, that child has the same ability, might need a little more nurturing and care in order to get to that point, but but they are still able to grow and thrive and function fully human as the one who carries to full term. They have the same things, the same as if they carried to full term. So to expand on Aristotle's view to its natural conclusion, the child wasn't of much value until it took on the shape of a human and had all it needed to live as a human. In other words, basically, when they're born, when they get to that point. Then they become someone who could be productive. Well, that's not the way God looks at us at all. When God looks at the child in the womb, he sees a person. He sees someone whom he can call to serve him. He sees more than just 
potential. He sees life itself, and he sees the person. Now, you might be relieved to know that from the very early days, Christians at the beginning of the church, they rejected this particular idea of Aristotle about birth and a whole lot of other prevailing opinions about birth that were going on in their particular day. Um, very early on, they believed that it was wrong to seek an abortion at any stage. Uh, there's a group of writings that most scholars date from the first century called the Didache. Didache isn't scripture. It's not written by the apostles and, and the special disciples. It was likely written by people in the next generation. And that's why the subtitle of this book is The Teachings of the Apostles. This is the things that this group of people learned, much of it directly from the apostles. When this was written around 70 AD, that's about the time that the apostle John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. And so there were still apostles alive when this was written. Some of these people were likely taught by Paul and John and some of the other apostles. Now, the, the Didache gives us a really nice little glimpse into life at the end of the first century, uh, likely around that time where John's on Patmos. And, and here's what they wrote on this subject. You shall not murder a child in destruction, nor shall you kill one just born. Another translation of that reads, you shall not abort a child or commit infanticide. Now, both of these things were very common practice at this point. Uh, children were aborted, and live children were thrown into the, into the river or left in the woods to be killed or eaten by animals as if you know, they were of no value if they were unwanted. Uh, I just heard the other day, and it's part of the story I hadn't heard before, I knew that Christians used to wait by the waters, wait by the Tiber River, and they used to wait by the woods, and, and when the Romans and others threw their children into the river or into the woods, they would snatch them up and they would take them home and raise them as their own. Now, what I didn't know, there's another part to that story, and that is that slavers used to wait also and watch for those children being cast aside, and they would hire women to raise those children into slavery. And so when the Christians were there, it was sort of a, there was a double thing, a double threat that was going on. These children could die, and also they could be taken off into a life of slavery. And Christians prevented that by being there at the time. Because they saw not something to be disposed of, something to be rejected if it wasn't the right sex or if it, was, if it had some kind of deformity. They saw a person and they would raise those children as their own. You know, in the 5th century AD, the bishop and theologian St. Augustine upheld these same beliefs. Uh, and he even went so far as to speculate. Now, this is speculation, but it's kind of nice speculation. He speculated that God has the power to make up for all human deficiencies or any lack of development, and he can do that in the resurrection. And so he assumed that even the earliest aborted children would enjoy eternal life with God. That was his belief. I don't see any reason in Scripture to not believe that. It's not explicitly, explicitly stated like that, but there's no reason not to think like that. The way we jump to the 13th century, Thomas Aquinas totally rejected abortion as wrong at every single stage. He said it was a sin against nature to reject God's gift of life. 
So, you know, if you continue down through history, you'll see that generation after generation held these same views. You know, it's not until we get into more recent generations that we start to doubt these views and that we start to put them out in the public forum. Now, we recognize that many women who have decided to choose abortion are in desperate situations. You know, often they're struggling. Often they don't know which way to turn. And, and we're not unsympathetic to that at all. In fact, you know, we, we recognize that there are many women, and maybe some of you here in the congregation this morning, who've been through the, the pain of abortion and all that surrounds it. And our prayer for you is, is not condemnation. Our prayer for you is healing and that you find the love of God and that God draws you close to him. Many women who come and approach the subject of abortion really don't seem to realize the implications of abortion until they see the proof, until they see the proof for themselves. You know, often something happens when they see life forming inside of them through an ultrasound. I learned only recently at a, at a luncheon that, that of the women who've decided on having an abortion, about 61% of those will change their mind and keep the child when they see it on the ultrasound. 61%. Now, I've asked one of our deacons, uh, Darius Smith, to come and share for a few minutes and uh, talk about some of her experiences as a nurse who gives those ultrasounds at the clinic. So Daria works for the Hagerstown Area Pregnancy Clinic. And um, tell me, what do you do there? I do a lot of stuff. Okay. <laughs> but mainly my job is to um, perform first trimester limited ultrasounds. Um, I show three things. I show that the pregnancy is in the uterus. I do measurements to see gestational age how far along it is, and then viability, which has to do with the heartbeat. Um, there's prayer, there's counseling, there's um, other things. It's, it's a lot. But the medical part of it, that's, that's what I do. Awesome. So when they're making that decision, and when they're seeing that ultrasound, that's, you're doing that. Well, God's doing that. But yes, um, <laughs> it is... It, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. It never gets old. You know, I put that... Oh. <laughs> I, put, I put that uh, transducer on that belly, and it's, it, you see this little life, and it just, it just never gets old. And yes, like Pastor John said, I don't know exact statistics, 61%, whatever, but I have had women that see that life, and they go, oh my gosh, it has a heartbeat. I can't, I can't do this. I can't, I can't kill my baby. And I'm just like, oh, you know, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the whole point of these ultrasounds is to show these women, be the window of truth, to show them that this is life. Um, yeah. Uh, I got a couple of pictures up, I'm going to put up here. What, what are we seeing on the screen here? Okay. Um, well, if you look at the green sign that says pregnancy clinic, that, that's where I work. Hagerstown Reproductive Health Services, it's not really health per se, it's, that's the abortion clinic. Um, they don't do anything else but abortions. Um, it's not like you can just go there and get a pap smear. It, it's not. 
like that. But right next door, we're, we're blessed to be in that location. Um, we have sidewalk counselors that offer prayer for these girls going in. Yep. Um, Wanda there, she has a table, and she's there. She's there faithfully every Tuesday and Thursday providing diapers, food anybody, for anybody, and it's just free for the taking. We have people that come out and pray. Um, we're not shouting at these women. We're not telling them, don't kill your baby. You know, it's, it's not like that. We're very supportive. We want them to know that there is other options, that even if they change their mind, they can come and talk to us. We have two women on staff that are post-abortive. They've been there. They know what it's like. Uh, we have had women who have gone into the clinic, had their abortion, come into our clinic and just sit and cry and talk to our counselors. Um, just on Thursday, we had three girls that left the abortion clinic and came into our place, so that was, that was awesome. Um, two of which chose life and one didn't, uh, regardless of the ultrasound, she just, anyway. You win some, you lose some, I don't know, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a stretch for me. This is definitely something that um, I have to learn to harden my heart just a little bit because I bond with these women and they take the ultrasound pictures and they take the blanket and they take the information and I'm so excited because, you know, they came into our clinic wanting an abortion but, you know, they, they, they see their baby, they get excited and then two days later we watch them walk in next door. And it's, it's very hard for me. I appreciate prayer for that, um, for me personally, just because I'm still learning how to work through that myself. Um, but most of all, it's changed my heart a little bit about these women. You know, it's always been about saving life. You know, life, life is valuable. You know, save the babies. But it really is about saving these women, too. They're, you know, my, my focus in my own heart has changed to them and just that they need, they need a savior. I, I put up a slide here that has some statistics on it, and it says ultrasounds 300. How many ultrasounds have you done since you've been there? Uh, about 130 since uh, June. That's a lot of ultrasounds. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. <laughs> uh, some of the other statistics I think that are worth mentioning here is... Uh, uh, like client follow-up, you don't just have that first connection. Somebody nope. follows up with these folks. Yes. And, and that's happened 1,600 times. Yes. Which is pretty amazing. We just, you know, we don't just say, oh, well, good. Glad you saw your baby. Bye-bye. <clears throat> no, we do. We, we continue a relationship with them as long as they want it. If, you know, if they leave, we don't keep hounding them. But, yeah, for so sure. It says here that your total ministry services are 4,202 women. That's a lot. Yeah, it's that, great. We're, we're pretty busy. And, and like I said, it's just, it's an awesome place to be, for sure. One of the things that really impressed me when I was at the banquet and listening to the, to the speakers was when they talked about how often the gospel was shared. It said that, uh, that in 2023, the gospel was shared 265 times with people who came into the clinic. Mm -hmm. That's pretty impressive. And ultimately, uh, 94 lives were added to the Tree of Life in 2023. Yep. That's pretty amazing. 
It is. Well, we're very thankful that you have the opportunity to be in this location and, and in this very specific setting. Um, God has called you there. We believe you that. And I'm going to lay hands on you. I'm going to pray for you. Thank you. Lord, we are so thankful for Daria and the work that you've called her to and and this life-saving work that's being done here at the clinic. And God, we pray that you will bless them and that you will keep them safe. And we pray that you will give them voices to speak and continue to use their skills and their gifts for you, gifts that are bringing life. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for sharing with us. Daria is on the front line. I mean, this is another front line ministry we're talking about. And through her, God is performing some miracles and saving lives. Uh, Please pray for her as she does God's work at the pregnancy center. And Pray for the scores of young women who are facing this decision. And pray that God will guide them into the pregnancy center where they get the opportunity, at least, to see the truth for themselves. Uh, It's not about rights. It's about choosing life. It's about life itself. 94 babies. That is a blessing. That's a miracle. You know, when God looks at the child in the womb, he doesn't see a potential human being. He sees a person, even one on whom he's placed a calling to be his prophet, even one he knows by name. The, we want to move into quickly and do a, a quick overview. We can't obviously cover everything this morning, but we want to look at a quick biblical foundation for the value of human life. So let's begin. Um, You really have to start where everything does in the scripture. You have to start in Genesis chapter 1. And I want to look at verses 26 and 27. They say, then then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You know, humans are uniquely reflecting who God is, his characteristics, his character, his creativity, and so many other things that that we see in God. We're supposed to, we were created to reflect so that people can essentially or should be able to essentially look at us and see who God is and get a pretty good understanding of what his character is like. We were created to reflect God, and every human being who has ever been created was created in God's image. That's what that video was about that we looked at first. Some, of course, get a long way from that image of God by choice. But You were created in the image of God no matter where you're at today. Men, women, children, you're all created in his image. Psalm 139 is one that we often share on on this particular day. It's one of our favorite scriptures when we talk about the value of life, and yet it's still worth looking at again. Uh, It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God was actively and very intimately involved in your creation, and he knew every single day that you were going to be experiencing before one ever came to be. You know, we often wonder, does God know what's going on with me? You know, does, does God hear me? Does God understand what I'm going through? The answer is yes. He's been there right from the beginning. Matthew 18 tells us that God's angels watch over children and young believers. And, and we could go on. There's a long, long list of scriptures we could explore, but our time is short this morning. The bottom line is that life is a precious gift. Every human life is unique and precious, even sacred to God. Did you know you're sacred? That you're sacred? That God considers you that? And he loves each and every one of you. And yes, he loves even Joe Biden and Donald Trump and Taylor Swift and, you know, all those people. You know, God loves everyone, no matter what, no matter where they come from. Every single one of us. Why does he love us? Because we were created to reflect him. We were created to reveal him to the world. And whether we do that or whether we wander away from it, sometimes very far away from it, that's up to us. But we were created in his image and we were meant to reflect him. History has shown us the high cost of devaluing life. There's a direct connection between the attitudes about the unborn and beliefs about things like assisted suicide and euthanasia. You find that those figures are often very connected together. And you don't have to go too far back in history. We usually refer to Adolf Hitler and the, and the Nazi regime and the uh, elimination of the Jews, the great master plan to eliminate the Jews. And, and you'll see woven all the way through that a lot of the same language that we're speaking today when it comes to the value of life. You know, the degeneration gets worse as it goes. I remember in Canada, the, when we were living in Canada, the debate about abortion first coming onto the scene and so, you know, I was just getting to, into the point where I could vote for the first time, and so I was very interested in some of those subjects. And I remember those discussions, and I remember when, when broad laws were passed that opened up the opportunity for abortion. Well, then, years later, I remember how that discussion changed, and it began to address the subject of assisted suicide. And all in Parliament, they had great discussions and arguments. In fact, uh, we know somebody in a congregation where we served, um, he became a member of Parliament, and he put his job on the line, he put his life on the line to try to block some of the assisted suicide regulations in Canada because he could see where this was going. And, and at the next election, 
he was voted out of office because what he was saying was very unpopular. But he got up on the floor of Parliament and he said the things that needed to be said. And it wasn't very long after that that we began to see euthanasia begin to be considered in Canada, where if someone is considered not to be useful at end of life, regardless of whether they were you know, in pain or whatever, that maybe it would be better just to eliminate their life. You think that that doesn't happen, but it's happened in the country I grew up in, and it's happened in countries around the world, and it could happen here if we do not value life. You know, abortion rights for the first trimester were pushed later and later and later, weren't they? Uh, we were told at a luncheon this past week that there is a new abortion clinic opening in Maryland somewhere, uh, and they're promising on their website to do abortions all the way through the third trimester, even up to the day of delivery. I can't even imagine that. And yet they're advertising for it. You know, truth is way scarier and stranger than fiction. You know, when Roe versus Wade was overturned, everybody thought that that was a great victory, that the war was over and that we had won. But what then? What then? We didn't have a good plan for what comes next. And for a little while, the, all these different states passing abortion laws, that drove down the abortion rate in the country. But my understanding is that the rates are going up again and doing so quite rapidly. There were 511,000 abortions in the first half of 2003 alone in this country. Legislation isn't really the answer, not in the long run. A change of culture is necessary. A change of spirit. We as Christians are given the opportunity to be culture influencers. And as a congregation, we can be involved in fostering a culture of life. An across-the-board culture of life. Not just speaking against abortion, which we need to do, but being willing to take on some of the responsibilities that come with that declaration. Responsibility for helping young women get their start in the world and to keep their babies. Pro-life means going beyond the clinics into the realities of daily life. Let me give you some specific other ways that you can help in this situation. You can pray. Anyone can pray. Uh, some of those women you see in those pictures outside of the clinic, what are they doing? They're praying. They just, you know, doesn't take a huge vocal voice or you don't have to be too brave to be able to just stand and pray. And yet they're there day after day and they're praying. And you can pray. You can pray right where you are. Another thing you can do is you can give. You can give support. We have our, our local clinic here in town, the PMI, Pregnancy Ministries. We have uh, this clinic at Hagerstown Area Pregnancy Clinic. And uh, there are, they could use the support because what they're doing costs money. And then you can volunteer. Boy, could they use volunteers, right? I mean... There are all kinds of things you can do. And if you have medical training, boy, they can use you. 
But even if you don't have medical training, uh, you could work as a sidewalk counselor or somebody who prays or somebody who helps to organize mailings and all the other things that have, have to happen in a nonprofit behind the scenes. And then there's one more thing that you can do today. You can participate. You can participate in the baby bottle campaign. As you go out the door today, you're going to see there's a table out there, and there are all kinds of these little baby bottles. And um, it's really simple. We've done it over the years many times. And you just throw your change or a check in there or some bills in there, you know, some of the heavier coins in there, gold eagles, you know, things like that. <laughs> they no, they'll take them. Uh, anything that you'd be willing to donate. Um, and when are these due back, you know? February 26th, thank you. February 26th. So pick one up today and uh, be a part of helping these clinics to really save lives, right? I want to bring some joy. Life is precious. We need to not only celebrate life, we need to embrace God's gift of life. It's impossible to overstate the profound value of every human life. Now, if you want to know more about these ministries, you can, there's contact information on the bulletin inserts today, or you can talk to Darius. She'd be very happy to give you information. And uh, we want to continue to pray for these ministries and for Daria and for others who are working on the front line in this. Let's pray as we finish. Father, we come to you today grieved by what we see in our country, what is tragically a reality all over the world. We've assumed a culture of death, a devaluing of life. Lord, we affirm with your word that all people were created by you, and they are endowed by you with dignity and worth. They are created by your choice, in your image, for your glory, that includes babies that were just born and those inside the womb. They're innocent human beings, Father. Forgive us. Forgive this nation for perpetuating this injustice. Your people, Lord, far too often have been silent in the face of that, and we ask your forgiveness for that. We ask you to stretch out your hand, rescue helpless children, in the fetal stage or approaching adolescence. Protect all life. We pray that you will strengthen us, your people, to stand in the gap. Free us from the self-absorption of our culture. Help the people in your church and the people of this land to not see people as problems to be solved, but as people made and gifted by you with a purpose. Give us courage and resolve to stand beside the powerless and speak up for injustice. Lord, move us to joyfully support mothers in need, to stand beside orphans in distress, to provide food and shelter and clothing and emotional support and job training and child care, whatever else is needed. We pray for the crisis pregnancy clinics in our country. We pray specifically for pregnancy ministries and for Hagerstown Area Pregnancy Clinic, and we ask that you would give them the resources and the volunteers they need and give them the stamina and the resolve required. Protect them from spiritual and physical harm. And guide desperate families to their doors. Use them in power, we pray. 
And Lord, we pray that your church would be a place that doesn't just stand against abortion, but against all injustice towards human life. Life is precious. Life is sweet. It is holy. Wherever it's found, in whatever stage of life, it is holy. Lord, bring revival. Work in the people of this land so that abortion becomes as unthinkable as it should be. Make the thought of disrespecting your image bearers an impossibility as people are changed by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. May the kingdom of heaven come to earth as you fulfill your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.